We are back with Season 3, Episode 12 of the After the Timeout Podcast. Today we have Molly Hennig. She is the head girls basketball coach at Round Lake High School. We get into the ball press defense with Coach Hennig, as well as building her program from the ground up, and some of the skills she uses as a teacher, translating them over to coaching. All right, Coach. So, so we start every seg or every episode with the what we call the opening tip. So, you've been head coach now for four plus years. Um, looking back, what was the one thing you learned right away that you didn't know, and then what was your welcome to head coaching moment, like that game or that practice or that situation where you're like, oh yeah, now I'm a head coach. Yeah. Um. So I feel like learning right away. Like I actually was in a unique situation where even though I was like an assistant coach, um, assistant varsity coach, I was taking care of a lot of the managerial stuff. Um, so like that part wasn't too hard. It was more so like the in-game management and just like the rotation and taking care of those things are what like I, I had to pick back up on as a varsity coach. Cause I feel like it's so much different than like coaching at like the freshman level or JV level, just because obviously like the top end of your bench is normally so much stronger and just finding those right moments to, to fit the rotation in. Um, welcome to head coaching moment. So I would say it was like our last game of the season. Um, we had a really good year, um, my first year coaching and we were playing Graves Lake Central, who's one of the top teams in our conference. And, um, we really came out with a great game plan and it did not go our way at all. We had like a ton of girls in foul trouble. And so that was just a tough one. Cause, um, that had been like our game circled on the year. And I was like, Oh gosh, that did not go how we wanted, but then like getting them motivated for regionals right after that. And everything was a good opportunity for me to learn from too. I think we all have those moments where things <laughs> don't go our way. Uh, yeah. So we want to dig in. Um, we have not hit this topic with any of our guests on the ball press defense. Um, I know, you know, we know you're a big proponent of it. You know, I want to break this down a little bit into some, some session, uh, some sections of questions, but so I kind of was reading some articles in preparation for the episode that there's only about five to 10 other teams in Illinois that run it. So can you kind of uh, you know, obviously we don't have a visual, so the best you can do yeah. auditorily, can you kind of just break down maybe just the alignment first and then kind of the basics of it? Yeah. So we, we use the terminology of like row one, row two, and row three, um, to break down like the different, uh, layers of it. So like row one is obviously like the top of our, of our ball press. Um, normally it, it's interesting because teams run it differently. We put our fastest, most athletic kid up there. Um, I've seen like other teams, Crystal Lake Central, we just saw play and they ran it really well and they put their tallest kid at the top. So everyone kind of runs it differently in terms of that. Um, and then our row two kids are two kids that can rebound the ball really well because in the ball press, they drop down to rebound on the weak side. Anytime a shot goes up. Um, and they also have to be able to really get out, get out there and pressure the ball. Um, and then our row three players are normally our post players, um, but they also have to be quick and athletic to get out to the corner and close out on shooters. So kind of what made you decide to like run this specific defense? Because like I said, if you look around the state, it's not like there's a million programs that are running it. So what made you decide to start with that? 
So at the time, um, our head coach at the time, Coach Barncha, was um, we were looking for a different defense because when we play man, we didn't have anyone big. Um, like our tallest girl was 5'8". And so we just wanted something that was different that would allow us to defend the post a lot better than what we were getting out of man. Um, and with the ball press, you actually always front the post. Um, and so it gave us this freedom to defend the post a little bit differently, uh, especially in our conference at that time, we had a lot of big girls um, that we just couldn't match up with man to man. Even if we like doubled down on the post, we weren't getting the results we wanted. So we started actually putting it in like halfway through the year before I took over as the head coach. So then the girls that I had my first year had some experience with it too um, when I took over. Is there any, like for a coach that would want to run it, um, is there any college team or other high school teams, maybe in Illinois or that you kind of feel run it very well, obviously, but besides you guys, do you feel any college or high school teams also run it that, you know, um, I haven't seen a ton of college teams run it. Um, but I know, like I said, Chris Lake central runs it really well. Um, Highland park boys used to, uh, when I can't think of his name now, but when he was the previous head coach, it's now the AD was there. Um, Paul Harris. So he ran it really well. Um, so I learned a little bit from him. We Warrenville South boys. Um, and I think also their girls program runs it. So, yeah, so we've got a lot. That's where I know Coach Burnshaw met. Um, we got a lot of it from we Warrenville South and then have since just continued to learn about it from, like I said, Paul Harris helped us a little bit and, um, we just continued to learn and watch it and, and grow from that. All right. So. You know, now you're running it, your kids kind of know, right, what's what's going on, you're, you're, you're really good at it. What are the now the common adjustments you see other teams make to your ball press? Yeah, so I think a lot of teams, obviously a lot of people either approach it with like a three guard front um, up top or a two guard front. Uh, we see both. Uh, if they go to a two guard front, a lot of times we'll take our row one person um, like that top guard um, and drop them back to match up on the high post. Uh, it just gives us that ability then for the other two people to, to match up better with the two guard front. And then the row three people are more responsible for the corners like they always are. So that's the most common thing that we see. Um, it's just people going to a two guard front instead of a three guard front. Um, and then the other adjustment is just a lot of times they'll try to set uh, ball screens or pin screens, but we just handle it like we would in man. So we'll just hedge the screen sometimes. We'll um, make sure that we fight through the screen if it's a pin screen. So that's really the main things that we've seen. So we're not looking for you to give away secrets here, but <laughs> what are what are some things maybe in adjustments that you see that sometimes give you the most trouble, whether it's uh, bigger kids or teams that might um, overload or what are some things that you seem to give you guys most trouble and how have you kind of adjusted to those things? Uh, so I'd say like a team that has like a, a true post player um, and then a really good shooter because it you have to pick and choose then who you want to guard. Um, so when we have a really good post player um, obviously we front them, but if they still are able to get the ball off of a lob or just a slow rotation or something, um, we're able to normally contain that, but then it's getting out on a shooter. So a lot of times, if we know that there's a good shooter, we'll try to adjust like our row one might shift over a little bit more and then close out automatically on the shooter, even if it's really like the row two's job. So 
I feel like that's the hardest combination that we've seen is just like a, a, a really good shooter and a, a solid post player. Then my other interesting follow-up is, is there um, any time in the game where you feel within the ball press, your kids may just make that a, an adjustment without you going through it with them just because they've run it so long. Are there any things you think your kids do just instinctually, like, like you said, the, the transition between row one and two, um, you know, but are there any specific things where you've seen your kids like, Hey, they adjusted. I didn't necessarily have to. Yeah. I'd say like my guards are really strong this year in terms of their understandings. I have a senior and two juniors that have obviously been in the program a while that start and are up there. Um, and they'll, a lot of times, like they'll just cheat out if they know that there's not a high post or if they trust the row one to get there a little bit more. Um, they, they read the passing lanes pretty well. So like they'll suggest and know like where to go instead of maybe dropping all the way down, like they're supposed to, they'll go like three quarters of the way so that they can pick off the pass. So like if it's the same action that they're seeing. So it's more so like reads off of it that they'll make adjustments to. Um, but yeah, I'd say those three really have a good understanding of it. And then if a coach wanted to start running it, like if I wanted to start running it today or tomorrow, what are, what are, would you say are two or three things that you really need to start with, with your kids when you're installing it? Like, would you start it with kind of small sided games or would you start it five on O and then break it down? Maybe two or three things you would do when you start installing it. Yeah, so normally when we install it, um, we break it down. So like we'll just do like a row one or row two breakdown where it's just um, them really working on like how they're closing out and how we want to get out on the ball and pressure it. Um, and just be able to have like a, someone at the top of the key, people on the wings, and then someone at the high post. So that way they're just getting used to that action of like having to close out on the point guard and then getting back and fronting the high post. And then the wings have to work on their rotations of getting out and back in. Um, and then we also break down row three separately. So that way they learn how to like close out because we, we force everyone to the middle instead of to the baseline out of it. Um, so we just really work on like our closeouts are the big things to start and then just the rotation. So we break it down by row. So we'll do row one and row two and then row three. And then we also do a row two and row three breakdown. So that way they're just getting all the different actions out of it that they're going to see. Um, and that's how we start it. We don't start like uh, with five people for a while normally. And then I'm going to steal a very Todd question uh, before I move on to how your offense complements it. But Todd would ask a guest, how do you know it's successful? Like, how do you know when you're running the ball press, whether it's statistics or analytics or things you see on the court, how, how do you know you're being successful in that game? Obviously getting stops, but maybe yeah. deeper that a fan wouldn't see. How do you know it's successful? So before winter break or before like our Christmas tournament, I know like we were averaging, like our opponents were averaging like 26 turnovers a game. So like, that's one thing that we try to track is just like how many turnovers we're forcing the other teams into. Um, and we also keep track of defensive points, um, which is just kind of become a part of our culture is um, so we track deflections, steals, uh, rebounds, blocks, and charges. And if you get 12 defensive points, you get a uh, Gatorade, which is, you know, just a little, extrinsic motivation for the kids but uh they also just like know now um like that they want to get that award and so that's something that we do um and just the more people that are winning it we know that we're doing well too 
What were those things again for uh, our guys? Uh, deflections, steals, uh, rebounds, blocks, and charges. All right. Uh, for our listeners, Todd, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to follow up on that then. Let's talk about, so you're getting deflections, steals, but let's say you're out there in a game and the team is is just hitting shots, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I I know John had a game yesterday, not to pick on you, John, but he played a team that they went out there and hit shots. Early in the year, we played Hananega, and they shot 80% in the first half. Well, right? mine shot 73%. So right. right. But, and obviously, yeah, we want to contain, we want to contest all that. But, like, if your ball press defense is working really well, where are those shots coming from? What kind of shots are you looking to to force right i mean sometimes teams are going to make shots right but yeah. if you can be okay with it if well that was a contested shot from here or what we wanted within our defense um so i would say like somewhere in the short corner like that that weird spot against his own like if they can make that from like behind the backboard like hats off to them um so that's one spot uh and then the other one is sometimes we'll get it like at the high post where they've gotten the ball in and we don't want to like collapse on that too much because if they do have shooters and if we give up that like free throw shot to like a post, that's also something we live with. All right. So let's kind of talk about, you know, how your defense meshes with your offense. Um, You know, obviously you want to create deflections and steals. So I would guess that lends itself to transition offense, but are there any things your defense does to feed into your offense or concepts that might be the same? Um, I would say just our biggest things are like when we're looking to run in transition, our row one person just always takes off down the floor um, because they're just naturally in that spot anyways. Um, and so there she's pretty good at like reading um, which side the ball is coming up. Our row twos are both of our point, like both of our normal point guards. So they just always break out wide and whichever side the ball goes to, then we just outlet it there and then look to push the ball up the floor. Um, so it kind of just naturally flows into like a transition offense. But like you said, our best offense is when we just get the steals and are running in transition. So. All right. So let's, let's go to when you kind of took, took over, uh, you know, kind of before, you took over, uh, the program was struggling a little bit. Um, and then, you know, your, your first season, you guys won 21 games. So uh, obviously there's a lot was done in the past, of that, but what were some of the factors that year, um, that allowed you to take that big jump and, and that step, obviously you had some talented players, uh, maybe with seniors, but what were some of those factors that allowed that kind of change over and in your program? Yeah. So I think one thing that was really cool about my first year was, um, I was there, I was the, the core group of seniors, freshman coach too. So I already had this like built-in relationship with them. And then I was the varsity assistant for two years and then I took over. Um, and so I think just having that relationship, both with the girls and their parents was kind of unique, um, because they had been playing together. There were seven of them that had been playing together since like middle school on the feeder program. And then they just kind of came up together. And throughout that time, I got to know their parents and them really well um which was nice and then we had two really good freshmen to complement that coming in as well and I think that um having those kids as freshmen and like we had a really successful year when they were on the fresh in the in the freshman team and like 
uh, I forget, I think when they lost like four games when they were all freshmen, I think they already had that instinctual nature of wanting to win. It just was, we suffered through injuries. A lot of them, like one of the girls tore ACL her soft junior year. Um, and one of the girls broke her foot. So like, I think they already had that, that motivation to want to win. And then when they all were healthy, plus having these two really good freshmen to help kind of round out the seven of them, um, is just like a good recipe for success at that point. All right, so I wanted to follow up and touch on something um, you mentioned about your relationship with the parents and players. Um, and obviously that's different as an assistant coach, right? Than yeah. when you're a head coach. So um, when you became that head coach, how, how did some of that change or what were some of the things you did to, to keep developing that? But at, at the same time, now you have these things we're doing and you have to have these difficult conversations sometimes with kids and parents. So how, how, or how did you adjust to that? Um, honestly, like I was pretty lucky in terms of like uh, having just a great group of parents and a great group of kids where I didn't honestly really have to have any tough conversations that first year. Um, but I think that just because I, since I was their freshman head coach too, like we already kind of had that natural level of respect between both the parents and myself. And I think that they really trusted me um, just in like always having the best interests for their daughters. So I think that that helped then just kind of carry along um, once I took over too. So we wanted to go into a little bit of um, the culture and you kind of mentioned culture in some of your statistics Obviously, we, we talk about culture with quite a few guests, um, but, you know, what are some of the things that when you took over as the head coach, you wanted to establish as the culture? Obviously, before there was a little bit of a struggle with wins and losses, so obviously that's part of it, but what are some of those core key concepts for you that you wanted to add in your quote-unquote culture? Um. I don't know. It's tough. Like, I feel like it just happened naturally in a lot of ways. Um, having like, like I said, I had seven seniors, like that I pretty much seen grow up. Like I remember watching them play, like when they were in feeder basketball and everything. But, um, I think that they, along with me, we had like a very deep conversation early on about like what we wanted around like basketball to look like. And a lot of them just continually talked about like that they wanted to change, um, the way that people looked around like and the way that people viewed us and so I think a lot of it stemmed from them and just like this motivation that they had to be a, a really good team that was competitive in the conference um and competitive in general but I think that like having that authentic conversation with them just about like what they wanted out of it um kind of showed through and something that they had that was unique was like their the, the previous head coach had actually passed away from cancer um their he was trying to think so it was the summer before that season I believe um and I think that they wanted more than anything to like make him proud so I think that that just on its own um was so powerful for them and like for even me as a coach like just to know that like we had this extra person like kind of leading us through the season too and I think that that helped just establish the culture from the beginning, like having, um, knowing like that he wanted them to go out there and play as well as they could and how much around Lake meant to coach Conkling. Um, they wanted to emulate that as they went on the court. So I think that just immediately gave them this sense of ownership and pride in what they wanted to go out there and do. 
So we're going to go with the, uh, the the teaching and the coaching aspect here. You're an elementary school teacher, first of all. God bless you. Uh, <laughs> the, my wife's my wife teaches teaches first grade, uh, so yeah. I, know, I, I know. But um, what are the what are some of the things you you bring from the classroom and translate into your coaching? Obviously, it's at a different level than elementary, but I, I feel like, you know, I teach elementary P and there's a lot of similarities and things you can bring that'll help your program and help you communicate with your kids and, and coach. Yeah. And I think, so it's kind of cool because I've been here long enough now that like my first group of students are seniors. Um, and so a few of them are still in the program. Um, a lot of them aren't, but they've all, a lot of them have come out throughout the years. Um, I actually have I looped with a class of kids like I went from fourth to fifth grade with them one year and those kids are freshmen now so three of those girls are playing basketball so it's just kind of cool to see them grow up that way um and just have them be in the program later on um but then aside from that like I think that there's an element to elementary school teaching where like sometimes you just have to be fun and like make things light and I think that's important in basketball too like we just did an ugly sweater cookie decorating contest and we have like gift cards and we hand them out and like while it's kind of dorky the girls actually secretly love it and look forward to it every year um and so I think just bringing like that light playfulness like that you have with elementary kids sometimes with the high schoolers like there's there's moments and times to do it but I think that it also needs to be necessary even though they like tease me about things they're like oh my god like you're such an elementary school teacher and different comments like that but I I also think they need that because it still reminds them like, Hey, you know, we're still kids. Um, this is, yeah, basketball is important to us, but it's also important to have fun and like make friends out of it. So. Listen, they know they're in trouble when they get to elementary school boys, right? They know, yeah. they know they've yeah. done something when they get, I hear it all the time. Trust me. Yeah. Here's an interesting follow-up. Is there anything you've taken from coaching that you've brought back into the classroom? So obviously there's many things we take as teachers that we bring on the court. But is there anything you can think of, and there doesn't have to be, but anything you can think of that you've taken from coaching moments and brought back into the classroom? Um, more so just like life examples of different things going on. Like when some girls will be having problems with each other, like I'll try to relate it to like another situation just to allow them to see like, hey, I'm not alone. Um, those kinds of things. Uh, either does it completely relate? I always show my uh, elementary school kids like our highlights on Huddle, and they like to see that every day, like our games. And I think that that just gives them like this uh, cool, like they they just feel excited about it, and they want to, you know, work towards being in high school and playing a sport and doing something. So I think that just like showing them, and, and I'll tell them like, hey, this girl went to our elementary school. You know, this girl went here, and they're like really like I could do that then so I think just trying to like tie it into something relatable for them I'm gonna start showing huddle highlights uh to my students see that's a good idea I do. <laughs> um all right so we've asked a bunch of coaches I would say probably 80 percent of our guests we ask this question especially if they're coaching in Illinois so uh, the IHSA just sent out a survey to all the coaches about the shot clock so we're just curious whether you're pro or con, you know, is fine, but we're curious, you know, why you do feel the way you do and just maybe a deep dive into what you think about the proposal of a possible shot clock in Illinois. So I have no strong feelings about it, like either way, um, because I feel like there's pros and there's cons to both sides of it. Um, 
I feel like the pros would be that like it speeds the game up a little bit. It, it makes us um, makes teams, you know, not have that ability to just hold the ball if they're up by a ton or different things. Um, but I also see like the negative of it, like a having to get the shot clock, B having to train someone like another added thing to the table. Um, and also like, there are times where it's nice to not have to run the score up on the opponent, like, or but like be the team getting the score run up on. Um, I think the shot clock might, I don't know, make that a little bit tougher. Do you think as an interesting follow-up, do you think with the style of defense you run, the shot clock would hinder or support more? Um, a good question I, I don't think it would change much of it because I feel like a lot of teams either don't get a shot up or it is a pretty quick shot like where there's you know doing something quickly I don't think that it changes anything so I'd say it doesn't hurt us all right so I guess the elephant in the room question we're kind of uh we started out pretty well now we're going kind of back to to the COVID uh issues again uh and you know obviously we, hopefully your your programs and your girls are safe and, and healthy but um you know i guess throughout this whole thing let's just let's just take it throughout this whole thing what are some of the things your program has been doing to kind of to make sure you guys have been safe and and maybe some things you changed along the way um i guess for the better based based on some of the changes we had to make during covid yeah, so uh, we are very pro. Last year, I was I was even more intense about this, but this year I'm still pretty intense. Last year, I, I chased them around with hand sanitizer, like after every contact drill. This year, I'm not not that bad, um, but we I'm very vigilant about like them wearing their mask um, like properly. I know some teams don't, um, but even like in games, we're really trying to make sure we wear them over our nose just. God forbid, in case someone on another team did have it and their mask is down. And so we just, our goal, uh, especially like since we're off to such a strong start, um, is just to come out and make sure that we're taking care of what we need to, to keep being able to play as long as we can this season. Um, so the masks are like a big thing. Um, we're being super proactive, like if they're sick to stay home um, and get tested rather than come and just have the potential to expose anyone to anything else. Um, and for the most part, the girls have been really good about this. Um, I don't feel like they're taking advantage of it. They're being really honest and upfront about it. Um, we're trying to keep our levels pretty separate just so we don't have any like cross contamination. So that's something we didn't do as much before COVID. So it has its pros and its cons. I feel like um, kind of hurts in terms of like developing, like sometimes we'd have our JV kids come and scrimmage like with varsity a little bit more and we don't do that quite as much now just because we don't want to you know if, if there was to be any problems we don't want it to be two teams instead of just one that had to take some time off so yeah as i'm talking on mute do you feel that um your um kind of policy is kind of helping in the process do you feel not necessarily that we're all going to chase uh, everybody around with hand sanitizer, but do you, maybe that's the elementary school teacher coming out in you right there? Probably. And uh, like last year it was like, 
we were the, cause we weren't even back in school. Like when we started playing basketball, we still were remote when we were playing basketball. So it was like the first thing a lot of us had done. So I was like, all right, we're going to be extra safe. And I literally followed them with hand sanitizer. So. Um, is there anything you feel like we as a whole could be doing more in the game of to kind of curve this a little bit? Um, I would just say like, to some extent, like just the mask, like I know that the girls wear them all the way down a lot of times. So, I mean, it's hard to play with the mask on, but, um, I think that especially like as we're going through this time period, just to be extra vigilant about it so that we aren't getting any spread from team to team. Okay. So, uh, as we move into our last two segments, uh, we call the first one 30 second timeout. It's your chance to talk about any subject you want. It could be basketball related. It doesn't have to be. Um, you could talk about you. You could talk about your program. You could talk about some outside organization that you're passionate about, um, your family, a hobby, whatever you want. Um, it's a loose 30 seconds. There's no referee in your timeout um, <laughs> for you to, to kind of the platform is yours. Um, so the thing I was going to just talk about was like, uh, so coaching has like something I've always been interested in, but it's really cool because my uncle also coaches. Um, and so he coached at Round Lake before I was here. He actually had Coach Conkling as his um, freshman coach. Um, and then Coach Conkling is the one that in turn hired me as his coach, as his freshman coach when he was the head varsity coach. Um, so it's just been a really cool kind of connection that my uncle and I have. Like Christmas isn't just Christmas. It's like, oh, let's watch this NBA game and look at like what they're doing and what defense, you know, like how they're guarding the ball screen and what would we do? Like what, you know, all of those things. So it's been, it's been really unique and special for him and I just to have that connection in terms of basketball and just to see it all come full circle of like, he started in Round Lake and I started coaching in Round Lake. Um, and so that, yeah, it's just been a cool uh, family thing in Round Lake here. All right, so last segment, quick hitters. I just got a random questions we'll throw at you. Um, we've been known to throw some oddball ones at you. And I think the first one <laughs> we got. So you coach in Round Lake. There's a lot of lakes, right? There's Crystal Lakes. There's Grays Lake. I, I don't know. There's lots of tons of lakes, right? If there's actually lakes, I don't know. But what is your favorite lake or lake area to, to visit in the United States? Um, you know, there's like a lake in my neighborhood and it has a beach. So that's my favorite lake because it's very peaceful and very quiet and it's nice to go to in the summer. You never know what's going to happen in quick hitters. All right. So dogs or cats as a pet and why? Um, obviously a dog, uh, because he's here right now. Um, and I don't know, dogs are just friendlier than cats to me. All right. Are you a uh, Christmas, winter holiday or, or summer, summer holidays, 4th of July? Uh, Christmas. It's like, I feel like I see more family then than 4th of July. What did you go with for your ugly sweater then? What, what uh -huh. was on it? I actually didn't even wear it, but it, I have one that's like naughty or nice and it has like that sequence and you can like choose which one it's going to be, oh, but I cool. didn't wear it this year. All right. So we got, uh, everybody does these or a lot of people do them. Do you have a new year's resolution this year and what are you going to make it? Um, I really don't, I haven't thought about it yet. Fair. So I have nothing yet. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, favorite sports movie. Um, 
So probably Coach Carter, but if I was being super girly, it'd be Love and Basketball because it's just a great movie. Kind of sports related. Love and Basketball is a good movie. Love yeah, but Coach Carter for like the coaching, Love and Basketball for like, you know. There you go. Emotional now, side. Now I'm curious, uh, Zazadel, do you have a favorite sports movie? Uh, well, I'll probably be, be White Man Can't Jump uh, or uh, Hoosiers probably. I like Hoosiers. I'm a Hoosiers guy. All right, see, I'm going to go off of basketball and say maybe remember the Titans or a league of their own. Like, I couldn't decide. If I'm Field of Dreams would be up there for me since I was a baseball guy. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to also go basketball, I would also probably go Coach Carter or maybe uh, Glory Road. Uh, that's a good one. But I think I, I think I got to go league of their own or remember the Titans. Um, so coach, we appreciate you being on. We know it's a, a crazy time of year with tournaments and practices. And um, is there anything before we let you go that you wanted to just maybe talk about your program, talk about maybe your kids, hype something you guys do uh, before we let you go? Um, not that I can really think of. I appreciate you having me on though. And since I couldn't make the other one, I'm glad that we found another time. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, thank you, Coach, again. And uh, listeners, if you want to check your team out, it is Round Lake High School Girls Basketball. And uh, if you're interested in the ball press, um, her information will be uh, in our bio for the episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.